Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast is all about digging into big questions and tricky topics for our honest conversations. This week we're going to be looking at codependency and as part of that I guess people pleasing and I am talking to Joe Westwood who from everywhere I look you seem to be the expert on this. You're a codependency coach who specializes in helping women to recover from codependency so they can feel content and secure alone and have healthy fulfilling relationships in all areas of their lives. She is a recovering codependent herself and the creator of the wildly worthy codependency recovering community, as well as the anti-pleasing, anti-people-pleasing podcast. My brain is going wild because there's so much I want to talk about, but I always start with three kind of easy questions. Um, how are you really? What star sign are you? And what's your favorite crisp? Oh, Clemmy, I actually love these questions. These might be <laughs> my favorite podcast questions of all time. Um, how am I really? I am good I'm pretty good um I've just come off the back of um a bit of a period of burnout in terms of just work and emotional life but actually yeah right now feeling good I'm a summer baby as well so I'm loving the warmer weather and the lighter nights and yeah like generally life's pretty good so yeah that's, that's my good. honest and balanced answer that's good. Um, star sign. I am Cancerian. I'm a little Cancer baby. Mm. Um, I think you're Pisces, right? Yeah. Yeah. I often joke that I'm going to create a codependency recovery program just for Pisces and Cancerians. <laughs> we are like the most codependent signs of the zodiac. Oh, if you want to it in that very like basic stereotypical way. <laughs> I hardly um, like. And then crisp. Honestly, I could do a whole podcast on this. I'm a crisp aficionado there's two contenders so um I've had to write this down because I have to get the name correct this is so important um sea salt and chardonnay wine vinegar crisps from the co-op irresistible ones absolute tongue stingers love them and then a more recent edition uh tackies they're like these rolled uh doritos um the fuego extreme chili and lime omg love them <laughs> so um, I've never heard of them, and I will seek them out. And uh, with the um, the co-op one, someone came on and said they put. I mean, I'm I'm not into this. I'm going to say I'm not shaming them. Everyone do what they want. They they put a packet of chocolate buttons in that flavor of crisp because they like the uh, the lottery of what they're going to pull out, like sweet versus quite tangy and sharp. I mean, I get that to an extent. You know, I'm like a pancakes and maple syrup and bacon girl, yeah, but. I don't think I could go that far mm. if I'm eating that bag of crisps and they I think they only come in 150 grams and I, I do eat the whole bag every time I get one like it's because I need salt that I don't need any sweet in there <laughs> I agree you know obviously we've got the popcorn is great but uh, and maple syrup and pa- pancakes but um yeah I think when I'm after crisps I'm after crisps they're kind of chocolate yeah. chocolate is a is a different need state in in my mind and body so I'll yeah absolutely them, I'll keep them separate too but you know each to their own so <laughs> um yeah we joke about the old um cancer and the Pisces being codependent we're, we're emotional aren't we? we're emotional people who uh who feel everyone else's emotions and I think that is I mean it's jumping the gun but I think that probably can easily ladder into codependency quite easily yeah like very kind of stereotypically like uh caring emotional needy signs Uh, cancer is is the mother of the zodiac wants to mother everybody baby everybody and um that's great if you actually have a child or a small animal or vulnerable person that you need to take care of but when we're talking about other adults in relationships it quickly gets into dysfunction Oh, wow. This is like a red flag of my entire life because, yeah, like being maternal is probably my and of course, that's fine with my kids. But um, that's my that's the gig. But uh, that's kind of my default setting across the board. And do, do you think that is a um, quite often a starting point to this kind of yeah relationship? So I think that, you know, codependency is it, it can affect anybody, but it is much more common in women and people who are socialized female um so you know even trans and non-binary people who are assigned female at birth because in the kind of patriarchal society that we live in if you are perceived to be female there are certain expectations Mm -hmm. of you um and that it that's 
that you will be maternal you'll be a mother figure and what does that mean Mm -hmm. um again in this kind of societal expectation uh, perspective it means that you're going to be selfless that you are going to give of yourself um to everybody else first and foremost um that you are gonna you're not gonna have boundaries that you're gonna care for other people Mm. you know as your first priority and you know above all else and that those are definite and also that you're going to be nice and polite and kind to everybody regardless of how they treat you um and yeah those are traits that very much play into codependency so there is definitely like a big part of just our societal structure that conditions us as women and people socialized female to be that way yeah and it's hard isn't it because there's there's a lot of lovely things about all of those traits Mm. um and uh, but yeah when we think about codependency it's what it's when the balance has shifted uh, or, or I mean you're the expert on this but how do we know when something when that goes from being an okay thing to be doing to something that is potentially detrimental to you I suppose so yeah I think you kind of alluded to it there and it's when it gets out of balance Mm. it's when you are when you're giving too much and it's to the detriment of yourself but it can also be to the detriment of others so um codependency traditionally I mean codependency was kind of discovered as it were and coined back in the 80s um in the uh the rehab centers for people with drug and alcohol addiction because Mm. people that were working with addicts realized that they had this common pattern of partners who were seemingly from the outside very caring but were actually enabling them in their addictions because they were so caring to the point where they actually weren't helping their partners recover in some way the codependent people actually liked being able to rescue or fix or be the savior of these people and so although they cared deeply for them and loved them in the way that they knew how they were actually keeping their partners stuck in addiction Mm. and so the balance can actually tip when you are caring for somebody you think you're caring for somebody you think you're giving and being generous that you're actually not helping them. Mm. You're not helping them to, you know, as a child to grow and evolve and become independent. And as an adult, you're not allowing them to be an adult, to Mm. take care of themselves and to mutually take care of you. Um, So that's where the dysfunction kicks in. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to unpick there, isn't there? uh, Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to think of a head. I definitely can understand how you can get into codependent things. I think I'm I, I am able to pull myself back from it, but I, I can see it because if if that is your default to trying to be the, the caring person and someone needs caring for, that can make you feel good. And then they get used to your caring ways. And actually, I've talked about it with my friends when you first get into this like heterosexual relationships particularly and you're you're doing that oh this is cute I'm going to cook them dinner and I'm going to do their washing and I don't really know what it is but you're playing out something and do you know what that to, to the most part comes from a really lovely place because you want to you want to care for someone but what mm. what starts out as that so quickly can become taken for granted and and an expect and I guess for me it's when when that behavior becomes an expectation so that I'm, I don't, I'm thinking out loud here, but there's, there's definitely a transition, isn't there? When nice actions become an expectation and also you don't allow the other person ever to step into those roles, you kind of find yourself in these locked situations that you can't get out of. Yeah, and I think it's where giving is set up in an unboundaried way to start with. Um, you know, I, in the very stereotypical Cancerian way, um, I love to cook. I um, I'm not a mom. I'm not I'm maternal when it comes to animals, not particularly when it comes to children. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I am a very kind of loving person. I love to host. I love to take care of people. I love to cook. Um, it's one of the ways that I show love, just like as an example. But when that gets set up in an unboundaried way, mm-hmm. you can very quickly end up, you know, mothering a another adult person a partner it's a very common trait of codependent people to almost kind of take over their adult partner's lives 
um, where you're not only you know cooking because you enjoy it, but now you're doing it because that is the role that you have set up and that you've given yourself. And there's never been a discussion around, you know, I'll do most of the cooking because I enjoy it, but I need you to know that sometimes I'm going to ask you to pull your weight and mm-hmm. step in mm-hmm. or take care of something, or there needs to be an exchange here. Like, yes, I don't mind doing the cooking because I enjoy it, but that means I'm going to need you to take on some other, you know, jobs and roles around the house or in the relationship. This doesn't just happen in romantic relationships. No. It's very common at work as well. You know, quite often we go to work and we're like, oh yeah, like I'm going to give above and beyond. And then before you know it, you're doing like stuff that is well beyond the bounds of your job description and what you're being paid for. But now it's an expectation. And I think so many of us have had that experience where it's like, you think that you're like, kind of performing well and sort of almost showing off a bit and showing your boss what you can do and what you're capable of but before you know it it's just an expectation and you're Mm. not getting paid anymore and you're not getting any more credit and then you're exhausted and burned out and we do this all over you know we do it with parents we do it with friends we even do it with our children Mm. and it's where this giving is set up in an unboundaried way and then it's like you know, if, if you start off a relationship, like getting somebody a ridiculous, like huge, expensive birthday present. Mm. And it's like, well, where do you go from there? Mm. You've either got to like reel that back in or you've got to keep bettering yourself all the time. And that's what codependent people tend to do. It's like, well, I need to give more. I need to give more. Then we tend to surround ourselves with people who want us to give more and want to take advantage of that as well. So we really set up this cycle where we are valued for doing and not being. And then we just have to keep doing, doing, doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, when you're talking about the job thing, I think we're, it's such a relatable thing because, you know, we've been programmed. To, I don't know where it comes from I guess it's validation isn't it look I'm going to over deliver mm. and but at this point someone's already given you a job so they've already they've they've already backed you but you're going to over deliver and then you go oh but th- I'm not getting the feedback that I hoped for so I'm going to go one step up and one step up all the while the other person in the relationship is thinking well I never asked them to do that you know but this is great because they're making my life easier yeah why wouldn't I do making- this and they're making me look great as a manager. So why would I not let them just keep doing really well? Yeah. And then and then you're like, well, I don't even need to say thank like thank you to them anymore because it's obviously a norm for them. So no problem. Yeah, they do they do it. And and we do, we quite often like make it look easy and then just go home and are completely exhausted. Crumble. Yeah. And yeah, having, you know, emotional issues, relationship issues, sinking into co-addictions, you know, leaning on like drugs, alcohol, food, you know, sex addictions, all kinds of different things just to soothe ourselves through this like overgiving and exhaustion that we're putting ourselves through. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's a very, very common scenario. And for me, again, thinking out loud, what I have learned is if I can't spot that I'm doing that myself, I know that as soon as any hint of resentment mm-hmm. sh- shows up for me, if there's yeah. any kind of, oh, I'm always doing this. And again, in personal relationships and work relationships, that is a red flag that I'm feeling resentful because I've over I've over delivered. You know, I used to always think the resentment was directed at the other person, which ultimately it is. But that I, I now ask myself, well, if you're feeling resentful, what have you given that you weren't, you didn't really want to give? Yeah, it's that whole thing of like, well, I've got, I've given so much, I've done this, I've done that. And the other person was like, well, we didn't ask for that. I never asked you to. And it's like, it is like the shot to the heart of the codependent mm. person, but it's true. Um, and that is one of the big signifiers for me of uh, codependency, codependent traits is um, overgiving to the point of exhaustion and resentment. Whenever you're giving and it's creating resentment or sometimes giving from a place of resentment, like you're trying to elicit that validation and that praise um, and you're like, oh, this this fucker, like they don't appreciate me. I'm just, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give more. I'm going to give more. And you try and like elicit it. It's not coming from a place of pure intention. Mm. You don't actually have the resources to give that thing and you need to pull back. Mm. And that's what I'm saying is like, it's not, it's not being given then in a boundaried way, you know, in, in the work scenario, there's nothing wrong with 
gone in for a promotion and mm-hmm. going right for the next six months mm-hmm. I am I'm getting my head down I'm really going to prove myself and because I know I'm working up to a review and in that review I'm going to say look I've done this 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 and this and therefore this is the promotion that I want this is what I'm asking for this is the pay rise that's totally fine because it's boundaried mm. and then if you don't get that thing you just pull it back like it's, there's nothing wrong with going for a goal, but it needs to be boundaried. It needs to be time limited. It needs to be with a goal in mind, mm-hmm. not just like from the off. And again, like just bouncing back into romantic relationships. This is what we do is like mm-hmm. giving a thousand percent from like day one. And you don't even know everything about this person. You don't know if they're kind of worthy, quite frankly, of all mm-hmm. that time, energy and effort right at the beginning. And that's the way it should be. You know, mm-hmm. it should be it should be a slow development and any healthy relationship in any area of your life will withstand a slow start. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I mean, arguably slow is probably good forever. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I think again, we're all guilty of these extreme, everything that we're taught that work life needs to be working to the absolute bone, that romantic relationships need to be the Hollywood version of that, that, mm-hmm. that if a friend isn't doing the extreme thing for you, then it isn't a friendship worth having. And actually, yeah, I, I was trying to piece something together as you're talking, because often I'm so as a, yeah, I mean, speaking to you, I've definitely have very codependent tendencies. I can sometimes be so fixated on one codependent thing, whether that be a relationship or work, that I'm mm-hmm. actually missing the other people in my life who are showing up in a really great way for me because yeah. I'm, I'm so fixated on on one channel. And this is the irony, isn't it? It begins to, I mean, again. <clears throat> I've got addictive tendencies. So it's that, it's that thing where it begins to mask everything else and you're, yeah. Yeah. And that's where it's kind of becoming unmanageable. Like as we were saying 12 steps and where it's tipping over into dysfunction, there is no perfect balance in life. It's a myth, but there is certainly more of a semblance of balance than we experience as like active codependent people. And it's so funny because I think when you hear codependence, you blame the person who you who is allowing the dependence to happen, but it's actually not the case, is it? It it it, it's a bit like blaming alcohol. And I say this to someone who's sober. Alcohol is 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 the weakness, but it's my relationship with it which is the problem, not not a a substance that has no. Yeah, like it's not—it's not crawling down your neck. No, exactly. It's just just liquid in a glass, you know. And and I I think, I think that's a really hard thing that we have to accept that the way to break codependent. You know, you can have partners who and general relationships who can help you out of it. Um, in fact, I've got like, a friend I'm thinking of who has codependent tendencies like me, and I'm I'm very active in pushing back on her and say, yeah. "No, you've done enough. Draw the line here. Thank you, but no, thank you." Um, but ultimately, you have to take responsibility for yourself to move out of these behaviours. I think. Yeah, I mean, I do quite often compare codependency to uh, substance addictions because they're just so much easier for us to understand because they seem so much more linear, Um, which makes sense. You know, you don't need alcohol and drugs to survive. We do need relationships Mm -hmm. as human beings to survive. So it's quite hard when all you have really known is dysfunctional relationships to then learn how to have healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. It's similar in that way to eating. You know, if you've got an addiction around eating, you can't survive without food. So you've got to learn to do it in a healthy way, which is so much harder actually than just being able to go, right, that's it. I'm just going to not do it. If I don't do it, it's, it's very clear with alcohol or drugs when you are kind of healthy or sober, because it's a, it's a constant assessment. You're constantly having to, you know, feel your feelings, you know, communicate, reassess, readjust all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really useful to think of codependency as an addiction um, because it, yeah, like as you described, it's just kind of that that pull towards those dysfunctional relationships that can make your life so unmanageable. 
Um, and I think once you once you realize that, you know, if there is a specific, usually it starts with a specific relationship and then you realize that actually you're kind of codependent everywhere. Quite similar again with, um, you know, substance addictions. You might yeah. have one main addiction, but then it will transfer. You stop drinking and you start smoking or you realize actually I'm really addicted to sugar or now I'm just numbing out with social media because oh. I'm replacing one with the other. So, and I kind of call it your kryptonite area. So for quite a lot of people, it's romantic relationships. And then I would say after that, probably work relationships, but it can happen anywhere. Once you clean up that one area, then you start to realize actually, yeah, this addiction is kind of everywhere. I'm looking, I'm, I'm doing these people pleasing behaviors in every part of my life. Mm. And it's, and you start to see then those imbalances and those places where it's unmanageable and those places where it's kind of, throwing you off and yeah as you say you're struggling to to actually feel healthy to feel stable mm. to feel you know to you know get a handle on your anxiety or to be able to express your emotions for example mm. so. it's so true yeah but the, the, yeah if you've got an addictive personality and, and again I don't think this is niche I think you have people who are further down the line on this but I think if we were really honest if we all looked at our habits especially around alcohol, social media. I mean, all of it. But it, yeah, what I know more and more, I, I, I hit one on the head and you're like, and I think, oh God, I'm done really well. I'm being really level at the moment. And then six months down the line, I've realised that it showed up. Yeah, it showed up somewhere else. You like, transferred it to somewhere else. Yeah. And it's so subtle sometimes. Yeah, this is great. I just really like this new thing or I'm really into it and it's occupying quite a bit of my mind, but it's fine. And then, yeah, and then it, and then it turns but with people pleasing what does that stem from do you think so um people pleasing is definitely a big aspect of codependency mm. they're quite often um confused or conflated i would say um quite often i think the thing with people pleasing is that it's the palatable way to say I'm codependent. Um, you know, it's that the same actually with perfectionism. So quite often people say, oh, I'm just a perfectionist. Oh, oh, oh I'm just a people pleaser. And I'm like, you look, you're exhausted, babe. <laughs> you're codependent as fuck. <laughs> like, I think they're the kind of socially acceptable ways and the ways that we've normalized mm -hmm. it, again, particularly amongst um, women and people socialized female, we've had we have to normalize these behaviors as a coping mechanism mm. because if we don't normalize them it, then we have to do the hard work of uncovering where does this come from why am i doing it mm. healing it and then pushing back against the system as i mentioned at the beginning that's conditioned us to say like yeah you should be a people pleaser and yeah you should be a perfectionist that is what the world wants you to be that's the role we want you to have um so codependency and the people pleasing tendencies that come along with it stem from um basically childhood trauma or what we would call um aces adverse childhood experiences which i think actually describes it a little bit better because when we say trauma i think definitely we're getting a better understanding of this and i listened to one of your recent podcasts um on trauma which is really helpful mm. it's um definitely something that we need to discuss more and understand more Trauma is, under, we think of it in society as like, you know, the, the really big things, what we would call like big T trauma, the obvious stuff, you know, for example, being brought up in a war zone or being, you know, severely like physically or sexually abused as a child um, or, you know, growing up in a home with like really severely drug addicted parents where you were like heavily neglected and that kind of thing. But, and yes, of course, those things are very traumatic, but actually there are these, you know, adverse childhood experiences, small T trauma or complex trauma, which is what the majority of us experience. And trauma is just defined as um, something that make like an event uh, or an incident that makes a big impact on you that you do not know how to process. So when we think of it in those terms, it's like, well, Okay, so you might have had an emotionally unavailable parent as millennials. Hi, yes, we've probably all got one of those at least. Quite often the dynamic is 
an emotionally unavailable parent and a codependent one, usually a codependent mom and an emotionally unavailable dad, but it can go both, it can go either way. Also a narcissistic parent. Um, you could have had an absent parent. So whether that's that they left or even that they work away a lot, this is also something that I hear. Because when mm. you're a kid, you don't understand why your mom or dad isn't there 80% of the time. You don't know it's because they work on an oil rig or they travel a lot for business. You just think, because you know, as a child, you are the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. You don't understand the world in an adult context. So if your parent just kind of disappears all the time and nobody's explained that to you, you think it's because of you. The same as like get your parents getting divorced, breaking up, so common. But if nobody explained it to you, and again, hi, millennials, we've boomer parents. Mm. They didn't know how to explain this shit to us. They never said, it's not your fault. You know, sometimes relationships work out between adults. Sometimes they don't. Mm. We still like each other, you know, you know, it doesn't have to be true, but like we but, still yeah. like each other and we still love you and it isn't your fault. But if you don't know that, you just think it's your fault. Mm. So there's all of those things that can kind of trigger you into uh, codependency and people pleasing because what you're trying to do then is fix the situation mm. you're either trying to make sure that your caregivers love you it's a survival mechanism mm. you need as a child you need your parents to love you because if they love you they'll remember to feed you and bring you in from the rain and you'll survive it's like that instinctive mm. um so if you've got an emotionally unavailable parent you're going to figure out how to get their attention. You literally almost become like a little performing monkey for them. Like, what do they like? What makes them like me? What makes them praise me, um, validate me, pay attention to me? What makes them love me? Um, same as if you've got a parent that needs um, to be caretaken in some way, and whether that's because they struggle with their own emotions, their mental health, their um, with an addiction, or even um, with a disability, for example, and that's, you know, obviously not to like blame anybody who has a disability, mm. but if as a child you took on that role of caretaker for the adult and you became parentified at a young age, like, boom, there you go. It's codependency, people-pleasing tendencies. That's what you're going to do for mm. the rest of your life because that's how you've been conditioned is that your value is what you can do and not who you fundamentally are. So it's like, you don't if you don't feel loved when you're not doing anything useful or helpful basically when you're just being a kid or if you feel more love when you are doing good and again it's that like very kind of old-fashioned way of like praising you for like getting a good grade but not praising you for just like being a cool human being oh. these are all ways that you can get kicked into those people pleasing tendencies I mean, it's just like, it, it almost feels like a generational thing, doesn't it, when you're talking? I think it is definitely, and, and then when you think back even more generations, like how many people will tell you that their nan, all she ever did was like cook and clean and take care of everybody mm. and look after everybody and like was overgiving and, all, and overbearing and it gets worse, like the more generations you go back. Mm. But yes, yeah, certainly, um, I think going forward, we are learning to kind of parent in different ways. Mm. That has its own challenges, for sure. Yeah, exactly. It's not to blame the parents. We'll all do, make similar, different mistakes. Well, and I think we parent much more heavily as a generation as well, which takes its toll on us. Mm. Um, our parents were in a lot of ways much more hands-off mm -hmm. and much more kind of directive and distant from us where our generations and generations below us I think are much more kind of consciously connected to their children which is burning us out because yeah. we live in late stage capitalism and we also have you know these ridiculous careers and you know the demands of the economy that we have to keep up with and all of that stuff but it definitely um it, it is to an extent a generational thing because of the way that our society kind of taught us to think of of children and people quite often say oh kids are resilient aren't they and like kids are resilient to the extent that they're taught to be resilient they are you're not naturally resilient you're resilient if you if your parents say to you if, if your parents say sorry if your parents say um you know 
I'm, yeah, I'm feeling stressed out right now. I'm tired. I'm sorry. I haven't got time. It's not your fault. I'll be with you, you know, in this amount of time. When you have things explained to you, when you're told like this bad thing's happening right now and it's tough, but it's not your fault or we'll get through it together or how do you feel? And so many of us just aren't, we're not brought up with that resilience built in and taught to us. We're not, we're basically not taught how to have self-worth. That's, that is the, um, is the crux of it, isn't it? Because it's, mm-hmm. I, I'm listening to you and I understand it all, but trying to get away from your value being attached to what you can give to a situation is a wildly difficult thing to mm-hmm to step away from because and and I'm still wrangling it because there's a load of good things of being someone who leans into any situation who wants to be if you want to think in a bigger picture be part of a community who wants to help others but but the lines are very um blurred aren't they as to when that when that becomes unbalanced which is a kind of where we said at the beginning but it, but then I'm like oh are you just kidding yourself to try to make make okay with your codependent and people pleasing tendencies yeah I mean this is something that people quite often kind of come to me with and ask me like well you know if I stop being codependent does that be basically mean I'm gonna be a bitch yeah <laughs> like, I want to be a nice person yeah and it's like yeah actually you you will be a nicer person because you'll stop having all these frustrations and resentments. Yes. You'll be giving within the bounds of what you can actually give. Mm-hmm. So what you're giving is better quality rather than quantity. Um, you're not going to have these like big kind of ups and downs, these big fluctuations in like giving, 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 and then burning out and having to like pull back out of exhaustion. Mm. Um, you can be much more consistent in what you can give you're clearer with people people actually love clarity Mm. anybody who doesn't have ill intention towards you loves clarity Mm. loves you being able to say actually yeah I'd love to be a part of that and this is what I can give this is what I'm available for Mm. this is how much time or this is how much money or Mm. this is my skills and and they're like cool amazing yes people people love structure and clarity and so it actually makes you a nicer person Mm. but Again, if you've been brought up to have this fundamental lack of self-worth and be have your worth based in like how much you can do for others rather than who you fundamentally are, then it will feel very counterintuitive and very unnatural to you mm. um, to pull back almost before you've even started by putting a boundary in place. It just doesn't come naturally to us. No, and it, again, it reminds me of a lot around giving up alcohol because like how am I ever going to be fun how am I ever going to have fun times anymore (laughs) and I could get definitely say I have loads I love loads of fun but it's real fun and it it probably isn't the way that fun what I thought fun was Mm. but it's there and it's real you've just got to you've got to relearn it yeah it is the truth of it um and and it, it you're having to show up I mean there are loads of similarities because you're learning to show up as yourself and people are like, oh do people still want to hang out with you it's like well the people who matter still want to hang out with me yes and yeah and if they don't then they were never the right people to be in my life anyway but that is very very um vulnerable and exposing to say have me as I am which is a little bit more less loud and a little bit more yeah introverted and yeah but it's very similar isn't it yeah definitely and it's um yeah in the same way that you know if people don't want to hang out with you because you're sober now it's probably more of a reflection on them and their relationship with alcohol 100% and the same way as when you're you know you recover from codependency and you start to get a bit more boundaried with your with your time what you're willing to give how you communicate anybody that doesn't want to be around you was just benefiting from you being codependent, whether Mm. that was because you were kind of enabling them in their codependency and now you're holding up a mirror and that feels awkward and they don't want to have to do that work or because they were, you know, manipulating you, taking advantage of you. And they actually liked it when you were overgiving and they don't like this new boundary version of you. And now a quick break to talk to you about a new jewelry brand called Ana Luisa. As you may or may not know, I live in a gold hoop. 
I think I started wearing them at the end of school, which by my calculations is 20 years ago. 20, how can that be? And I haven't deviated much since. I've always got at least one set of gold hoops, often several. So imagine my delight when I was introduced to Ana Luisa. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A as a new place to stock up on jewellery. Is it a pleasing price point too? It's nice enough to feel lovely to wear and to know that it'll stay in good nick, but not so pricey that you're afraid to wear it. Items start at about 35 quid. If you're in the market for some new bits, I've been living in a style called Venus, which are a mid-sized hoop. Also look at the Suzanne Huggies. It's what I've currently got in my second and third piercings. And that's not all. I've got a cheeky discount code for you too. Using but why will get you 10% off and there's a link in the show notes to make it even easier. The website is analuisa.com, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com. I absolutely recommend them. It's beautiful, sustainable jewellery, and there are lots of gold hoops. Can, I don't know what the, so if you've got the codependent person, what's the other person called? And can can we both sit in both roles? Can we Can we be both things? Or do people tend to fall into one or the other? Um, yeah, so quite often codependent people tend to get into relationships with people who are emotionally unavailable um emotionally manipulative or narcissistic so um that's quite a common pairing codependent people can also get into relationships with other codependent people that's that would what I would say is the next most common pairing. Um, and then sometimes we're lucky enough to get into relationships with secure people, um, which really blows our minds and almost sometimes makes us more anxious because we are so confused because the dynamic is so unusual to us. Mm. Um, so what I would say is like codependent people and emotionally unavailable, emotionally manipulative or narcissistic people almost fit kind of hand in glove our dysfunctions uh, fit each other perfectly. So a codependent person needs to feed emotionally and a narcissistic person needs to be fed emotionally. And so it's this constant one-way cycle of you kind of putting more and more into the relationship, into this person and them just taking and not giving back, certainly not giving back to the same level. Um, And that's when we tend to create like an abuse cycle basically um so that's the most uh common scenario that codependent people tend to find themselves in Mm -hmm. um there is no permanent switching although when you see two codependent people together there is this weird dynamic that happens where codependency is a scale and on the extreme end it can look narcissistic and there are some common traits between the two um namely manipulation codependent people are quite manipulative although we do it with kindness and generosity and giving um whereas you know narcissistic or you know just straight up manipulative people do it in much more kind of uh, vindictive and insidious ways um but yeah on the extreme end uh codependency can look narcissistic and if you've got two codependent people together one person inevitably will become the more dominant person um, and start kind of controlling the relationship and look almost narcissistic, but then take them out of that relationship and they just become codependent again. And they can then very easily get into a relationship with someone who is more dominant and will kind of do the same thing to them. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like if you're codependent, you're codependent, you're codependent everywhere there's no switching you might find yourself doing some things that you think are narcissistic but the big clue to that that you're not narcissistic is if you're wondering if you are (laughs) narcissistic people never ask that question so if you're if you find yourself googling am i a narcissist you're probably not um (laughs) more likely you're probably codependent and have been in relationships with those types of people Mm -hmm. but you're either you know you have a very strong sense of like self-blame and self-doubt and you are kind of looking for the issues in the relationship where the other person isn't and that's where you kind of find yourself doing the late night googling so which is like one hand I'm like oh this is all a bit bleak but there is you can recover from this can't you yeah absolutely um I I guess yeah it just it can feel a bit bleak because my very, very unscientific 
guess, <laughs> very not uh, peer reviewed study guess is that I would say at least 50% of women and uh, people assigned female at birth are codependent because that's how we're conditioned to be. It's habitual, yeah. Um, yeah, and then we go out into society and society like confirms it for us. And, and even our friendship groups, you know, we quite often sit around bitching about work or boyfriends, you know, over a glass of wine. And that's how we let off steam. And we kind of confirm it. We're like, oh, well, yeah, just work shit and like blokes are shit. So this is just the way it is, right? We just have to like find ways to cope with it and put up with it. And it's actually just because we're, a lot of us are kind of stuck in these dysfunctional patterns. And so quite often when we think we're helping each other out and we're blowing off a bit of steam, what we're doing is kind of confirming these patterns and staying stuck in them. So yes, in a way it can seem bleak, <laughs> but as a recovering codependent myself, it's the most incredible feeling to actually grow your self-worth, to like yourself even on a bad day, to not mm. constantly be crippled by anxiety or constantly be exhausted, uh, to have people around you that love you all the time, even if you're having a bad day, to be able to communicate clearly what you want and need and for it to feel very clear for you, you know, in your in your mind and your body if something feels off and be able to say like, Hey, this doesn't feel good. I'm just going to step away from this. Mm. And it doesn't have to cause this huge drama in your life. And you don't have to try and fix it and rescue everyone. You can just kind of like be more comfortable existing and it is mm. totally possible. The hardest part is always the beginning part mm. is always realizing this is what has happened for me. Mm. Um, you know, this is what's happening to me. This is who I am. Um, I think the scariest thing for a lot of people is that feeling that they might lose their identity. You know, as we kind of discussed a, a few minutes ago, like if I'm not codependent, who am I? If I'm not, you know, overgiving and generous and this person that does everything for everybody, how am I, like, who am I? Are people not going to like me anymore? What happens to my friendship groups? What happens to my reputation mm. as the person that does it? <laughs> that that kills me like that is not a compliment oh she'd do anything for anybody like it's not a compliment it's such a bad thing to be known mm. for like we need to really step away from that and step away from praising that in other people as mm. well and like you said with your friend who you think might have codependent tendencies like actually encouraging people to not do everything for mm. everybody and you know that isn't a good thing it's not good for us to be exhausted and enabling people who might be manipulating us or you know taking the piss basically like that can be the scariest thing is thinking like who am I going to be on the other side of mm. this and I can tell you from experience from my personal experience but from having guided hundreds of people through this process at this point like <laughs> you're going to love yourself you you're not going to recognize yourself on the other side of this like life is fucking amazing on the other side of recovery yeah and uh, I, I mean this has been some quite light bulby moments for me but I do know that I've try I'm trying to flex some more of this and sometimes you can just I'm thinking like on group whatsapps and and you're trying to this is all theoretical but you're trying to organize a weekend away for example and my mm -hmm. my go-to is to get all over that mm -hmm. and, and and sort it and part of it is yeah I like researching I like finding places fine but I, I know that I, I lean can have the tendency to lean far too far into that mm. and it's quite empowering when you can just sit there and go hmm I'm not gonna do this let's see what happens and actually in time someone else will come out and do it and yeah. and it's absolutely fine I just and again it really reminds me of drinking of that oh, I want to have a drink now actually I'm just going to pull back and try and get part through the next hour and then the moment goes and, and and so often it is that isn't it it's catching yourself on your instinctive reaction to any situation you know hearing someone oh we're moving out next weekend I could really do with a hand and you're just like oh, I'm gonna bite my knuckles I'm not gonna be the one to do that unless I really genuinely want to and I've got a free Saturday and it's not gonna impact anyone else it's just resisting your own urges isn't it yeah, definitely that um, slowing down. That's one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give to clients is like slow down in everything. Mm. Um, you know, the classic is like in a meeting at work, if you're, if you're that person that always volunteers for everything, just 
hold back, mm. just shut your mouth for 60 seconds mm. and somebody else will volunteer or someone will get picked mm. and, and you see done. that it will get done regardless. Mm. And this is the thing, right? Either it will get done or it won't. And the world will not fall apart if you don't do it. Your little internal world might fall apart yeah. a little bit, but that's yours to deal with and that's yours to work on and heal and process. But the world will be okay. Mm. It all still keeps turning. And this is the kind of weird thing that codependent people have as well is like, I call it the inferiority superiority complex. So with this fundamental kind of inferiority complex, like we have a fundamental lack of self-worth, that's where codependency comes from. But then we almost have this like godlike superiority complex of like, I can do this better than anyone else. So I'm going to wait. And in. that comes from the need to control. Mm. And because we find safety in control. And it also comes from like, we're very resourceful, very capable people. There is this myth of codependent people being like these like, like meek, needy little wallflower people who can't do anything and just like, oh, they're so needy on their partner. They're the most fucking capable people. In fact, they're some of the most successful people you've ever met um, because they work themselves to the bone. And sometimes that pays off. And sometimes that means they climb ladders and they get success and accolades and all the rest. Mm. They're exhausted and burned out and that crash is coming for them somewhere down the line. But like, we are very resourceful, capable people. We're very fucking good, a lot of stuff. Because when you find your sense of worth in doing, you learn how to do a lot of things. You learn to be a great organizer. You learn to be a great researcher. You are a perfectionist because that's where you get your sense of worth from. And so, um, yeah, actually like codependent people are very good at doing a lot of things and making things work and fixing things. And so we also have this weird superiority complex that's like, well, I can do it better. So I'm just going to do it. And it's this really kind of weird juxtaposition within us. And the one feeds the other constantly. Mm. Oh, I, I so relate to that. I, on a small scale, I always used to do the packing for family holidays. And my husband is a primary childcare provider and I am the one who, who works. So as, as that role shifts, it's, like, it's absolutely obvious that I shouldn't be packing for holidays anymore because... Mm. He's the one at home with more with the time that is designated for that, not more time. He's very busy too. Yeah. And then like at, one, at some point on our journey, he did for the first time do all the packing. And I got um, home before the holiday and all the suitcases were packed. And I had to literally prise my hand away from the suitcase to go and check it. Mm. And the thing is, within reason, whatever he, the only way he's going to not fall into the same you know we're not going to fill in the same dynamics as if if maybe he has put some of the wrong stuff in and he learns what we what we do need for a holiday and actually it would all be all right but I you know I know that I had to go wow this is there is no reason for you to do this other than your own issues really um and 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 there's so many moments like that it's that thing of letting things be imperfect. Yes. And essentially what we mean by imperfect is I haven't done it. Not the way I do it. Yeah. Exactly. Not the way I would do it. Yeah. And yeah. And, and he's been good for me. That it's like, well, so what if I didn't put the jumper that you imagined a daughter should wear on the third day? It really doesn't matter. Like, oh God, everything in me wants to say it does matter. But you're right. It really doesn't matter. Unless you're like going for a holiday in like the middle of the Amazon jungle. Yes. Like... Well, you need specific kit. Yeah, like it's fine. You can just go to the shop and get yeah. some baby wipes or yeah. like the shampoo that you forgot. Like it, it will be fine. But it, it, you know, I'm like tensing my hands. And there's so many layers that you have to, yeah, you have to unpack. And it, it, it's exactly. I'm thinking of the people I know who, with these habits. They are never late for stuff. They've always got the things. They've got the documents printed out. You know, they're good to go. That you present very very is very very competent often and you know then you've got layers with anxiety and probably other addictions and it, it's it's all so layered but uh, but, but yeah it, these habits can we can shift stuff we just have to learn how to do that don't we yeah and a lot of it is exposure therapy you know it's a very practical recovering from codependency is a very practical process it's you know, as I kind of mentioned, it's a survival mechanism, it's a coping mechanism. And 
it served you well when you were a kid. You needed it when you were a kid. If your caregivers couldn't or wouldn't give you what you needed, you found a way to stay safe. It was dysfunctional, but you found a way to Mm. make it work and survive. Now you're an adult, hopefully with the ability to take care of yourself and keep a roof over your head and feed yourself. You actually don't need anybody else. You want people, of course. And yeah, we're social animals and, you know, connection and community is very important to humans. Um, We really don't do very well without it. But you don't need anybody. And when you don't need anybody and when you can learn and you can show yourself that you don't need any like one specific person, then you you become you basically become whole and you build your self-worth in kind of such a strong way when you don't need anyone you can pick the people that you want in your life based on how they treat you Mm. and you can let go of relationships that no longer serve you you don't have to keep people around because you because they give you the sense of safety and they kind of anchor you in a way because you just need that validation so much you can say like actually this doesn't work for me anymore like this workplace is really fucking dysfunctional it's bad for my health or this relationship is really unfulfilling or we're just not a match I'm gonna let it go or actually I think I've outgrown this friendship and you can pick the people that you want as I say based on how they treat you and yeah it's that but it's kind of exposure therapy in a way Mm. you have to show yourself that you can put a boundary in and you're literally like your voice will shake and you're gonna feel awkward as hell afterwards but give it a few hours and you realize the world doesn't fall down around you. And actually things get better when you do that. And so you give yourself that very kind of practical demonstration that when you have these more healthy habits in place, things don't get worse. They actually get better. They do. They really do. And it's learning to check in with that experience, those little moments, you know, again, I keep going back to sobriety, but I was very, I did a lot of self-congratulating in the first year, a couple of years of of sobriety of like, oh, look, I'm driving back from this event. Oh, look, I've woken up the next morning and I feel great. And I really programmed, really, really programmed that, that, that cycle in my mind, really. And and the more you do that, the, the more the other becomes like, not an option because there's so much good over here but you have to you have to put those cycles back in place don't you yeah and I love that comparison because it is it is very much like comparing you know three months ago this person would have asked me to do this thing and I would have just said yes and actually I didn't really have the time and the energy I didn't want to do it and I would have felt you know resentful and frustrated today what I've done is I've put a boundary in place I've said no I don't want to do it or yes it can help but only in this way and to this Mm -hmm. extent and I feel better I don't have that frustration and resentment I have a bit more energy so maybe that means now that I can go and rest without guilt like shock horror that is like a mind-blowing concept to all of us oh yeah (laughs) or I can go and do something creative or I can go and spend some time with people that I actually want to spend time with Mm. and you're getting the positive benefits but you have to be present in those moments of going like it you know it's almost like the delayed gratification mm. of, this feels awkward and difficult now because I'm not used to it but in an hour or a day or a week I'm actually going to be really glad that I did that difficult thing and then obviously when you do it the less difficult it becomes the more yeah. it becomes your new norm yes exactly and again like with not drinking people don't ask me if I'm having you know I don't have to have that oh no I don't drink conversation anymore because mm. everyone knows I don't drink so your 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 default line on where things are you know you aren't always the person that organizes everything anymore because it's not the expectation yeah. and, and suddenly you shift you've just shape-shifted the, the tracks are different aren't they and I can just imagine you ha- you're not doing that assault on your nervous system and it's a whole different conversation but it is all fits together doesn't it it's very very similar yeah and it's you know in in that same way you're teaching people how to treat you yeah now people just think of you as a sober person yeah so it's not, not even event. part of the question like you're not drinking you'll probably be driving they'll cater for you at the party they'll yeah. make sure that there's non-alcoholic drinks there it's not a thing anymore the same as when you put boundaries in place at first, there'll be people who push back and they're like, Ooh, what's got into you? Yeah. Like, Oh, that's weird. I'm not used to you doing that. Give it six months, a year. 
they'll either have completely accepted it and they're like, oh, well, she just doesn't do that anymore. Like, don't expect that to be, you know, the default person that's going to do it or they won't be in your life. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and yeah, oh, I really, well, I'm listening to you and there's a couple of questions to, to wrap up. But number one, like where can people find you? Because you do offer a lot of actual resources and guidance in this exact space. You don't have to listen to this podcast and go, oh, wow, this has shifted something. Now what do I do? Where do people come and find you? Yeah, so um, you can work with me. This is what I do. I'm like, I feel like I really have to remind people like, I do this for a living. <laughs> this is one of my things I need to get over. Yeah. Tonight covering codependent so um yeah so I do private coaching and I also have a membership group called wildly worthy so that's a recovery community it's an amazing space um so yeah the main place that I hang out is on Instagram I'm at Joe Westwood um and you can also find me at joewestwood.com I feel really um a bit excited for anyone you know there are those moments where you go all oh, right this is what this is my journey now to something better. And I hope that there's people that have that exact, that exact experience after this conversation. I mean, it's definitely shone a light on some things for me. And my, my final question to everyone is always, if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be? And what would you say? Oh, I forgot you asked this question, Clemmy. I might get, I might get a bit emotional here. We'll say, um, the one person I would have an honest conversation with is my mom. Um, because that's where my codependency comes from. Sadly, now my mom has got dementia to a point where there is no possibility of that happening. Um, and that's kind of like, that's deteriorated, basically parallel with my recovery journey. So at the point that I would have had enough awareness and the bravery and the skills and the words to have mm. those discussions with her, it, it's now just become impossible and it's um yeah it's just a really it's like a really sad thing for me mm. because I also know that there I can't pass this to her either mm. um she yeah. had struggles in her life and issues with addiction and um and has been severely codependent all of her life and now this is this is like her for the rest of her life now um mm. kind of deteriorating into dementia and this came up for me I'm I'm part of a 12-step program uh for codependent people called Codependence Anonymous um and this is something that came up for me through that is like there is there is some anger sometimes there there's some frustration there's some resentment that she didn't change those things in her life and mm. she kind of gave it to me and my sister but at the same time there's also a lot of compassion because now she's never going to get to have that mm. and I just wish that I could pass it on to her but mm. I can't so yeah uh yeah <laughs> oh that's so difficult uh, it's so difficult and this is the this is like the crux of so much of being human isn't it that you can be compassionate towards her and want the best for her but still feel angry for the for the bits that, that have become issues for, for you yeah I think it's it's that concept that Brene Brown talks about is the the concept of being wholehearted it's like holding two conflicting ideas at once and mm. it is basically the human condition mm. you know we can we can love somebody we can love somebody from afar I think so many of us have had that experience where mm. we can see like this person's had a traumatic background and that's made them actually, you know, an unkind person or an unaware person. And that's really deeply affected me. Mm. Um, and that doesn't mean that I have to rescue them or fix them, for example. Mm. And, you know, this is the same thing with my mom. Like I can see that she did the best with the resources that she had. And at the same time, like, I wish she did better. Like, yeah. And, yeah. and then, and, and then the next and is, and I wish that I could give her what I know so that she didn't have to keep mm. suffering and keep struggling. Mm. Um, the irony being, I hope to finish this on a slightly lighter note, mm. but the irony being that now she's kind of like, <laughs> kind of just going into dementia and obviously it just deteriorates. Mm. Um, it's kind of funny because she's no filter and... <laughs> 
all the things I think that she wanted to say and wish she could say and all the boundaries that she never had now are coming out in force and it's kind of funny yeah you're like oh there it is there yeah, is. you're like, this is literally like decades, it's like six or seven decades of like unspoken boundaries and everybody's just getting both barrels. Um, so in a way, maybe it's a form of healing. So yeah, that's kind yeah. of fun to watch at least. Yeah, that yeah. is it. Oh, I mean, thank you so much for such a um, useful and, you know, you know, personal, but also fairly universal conversation I, I I it's helped me a lot and I'm sure it will help other people and you're doing really great and important work oh thank you so much Clemmy it's been such a joy to speak to you oh there's two super emotional people uh, well as per my end comment to Joe that was I found that a really moving conversation especially those questions at the end I always have it in my mind that's gonna how I'm gonna wrap up and I'm, I never really understand that asking someone who they'd have an honest conversation with is sometimes a huge thing to uh, to drop in their laps at the last minute but you know it's always really revealing maybe that's a whole podcast in itself anyway that's an aside yeah codependency is a thing and it also manifests in a way that I didn't quite expect it's something i'm going to explore more and i hope you do too thank you so much for being here and for the beginning of this new series i'm going to be on every week now right up until the end of the year so please join us and if you've got any suggestions for guests you can find me at on instagram at but why insta or if you want to go by a bit more old school on email but why at clemmytelford.com I am off to, oh, actually I'm not going anywhere, I'm going to continue sitting at my desk and chugging through this to-do list, which seems to grow rather than shrink, but isn't that always the way? Wishing you a lovely day and catch you next week. Goodbye.